Our sermon text is from Ruth chapter 4, starting in verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse the father of David. Now these are the generations of Prez. Prez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. And Salmon fathered Boaz. And Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray for us. God, we give you thanks for your word, which transforms the world, which gives birth, which brings new life. We pray that you would bring new life in our hearts this morning, that your word would speak to us and transform us to, to look more and more like you. We pray this and trust that you will do it in the name of Christ. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Well, before Mount St. Helens erupted in 1980, it was a stunning place. Now, to be fair, I was not there uh, uh, when it was before it erupted. I was not born yet uh, before 1980, but I've seen pictures. And, uh, and the lakes were stunning. The trees were stunning. The mountain was a stunning place. And then if you look at pictures after the ash had settled, after the eruption had taken place, it would have looked like a different place. It was pure destruction. Uh, only charred earth remained. And, you know, as a child, even 10 years after that event, I would go and we would go and hike around Mount St. Helens, and it was still just ash, destruction, charred trees. It didn't look like anything would ever grow there again. Uh, and yet, if we all went on a field trip right now to Mount St. Helens, and I love a good field trip, uh, what would we find? But actually, we'd find green. We'd find trees growing. We'd find wildflowers growing. We'd find lakes. We'd find deer. Although it was once utterly decimated, looking like a charred earth, looking like probably like Mars looks, life now grows, which this shouldn't surprise us. It likely doesn't surprise us because this is what we find in Scripture, isn't it? The fire never just brings destruction, but it actually brings new life. This is the idea of the refiner's fire. It doesn't actually destroy the earth. It doesn't actually destroy you, but it refines you. It purifies you, just like gold is purified in the fire. And as we consider, right, the end of, of the book of Ruth, 
You know, the, the primary theme, the theme that we've talked about often is the steadfast love of God, right? The word hesed that's used to describe that's who God is. He is steadfast love. And as our time of, in Ruth comes to close, what I want us to really remember is the how of hesed love, is the when of hesed love, right? How and when does God show his hesed love for his people? He shows this as he walks with us through pain and suffering. He shows it as he walks with us through the refiner's fire, right? It isn't actually despite suffering that he shows his love, but through it. This is an important distinction, right? Suffering, when you're in the midst of it, it feels like a raging wildfire, doesn't it? But it actually isn't the thing that destroys us, which is what we think in the middle of it. We think that that fire is going to destroy us, but it doesn't. It's actually the thing that brings about new creation inside of you and in your life. In fact, what we're going to find here is you actually can't have new creation. You can't have new life without it which on the front end sounds like bad news. Uh, suffering, no one wants that, right? No one wants to be told that you're, they're going to suffer. But what we're going to find is actually this thing that sounds bad is actually the best news for you. Because in the end, the story of Ruth is a story about God bringing new creation, new life. It's a, it's a Genesis event as these two widows, right, return from a foreign land. You know, one of these widows is old, She's lost everything, her husband, her two sons, and now all she has is this Moabite daughter-in-law. They have experienced the, the suffering of life. They have been through the fire. Naomi, when they come back from the land, what does she say? She says, we've been forgotten. We have nothing left. And yet out of this darkness, out of this chaotic family moment, what does God do? He creates. He brings life, right? Hope springs as they come home in the season of spring, in the season of harvest, and there's this man that they stumble upon, a nobleman in Boaz who comes to redeem them, to give them new life, and then it happens. Right in our story this morning, Boaz and Ruth, they finally get married. They're saved. And yet until we get to the last bit of this story, the redemption is not yet complete. There's still some unanswered questions for us. Right? Will, will Ruth be able to bear children? What would it look like if Boaz all of a sudden died? Will Naomi be comforted in her, in her old age? Or, or, or will they, she be forever in mourning? And in this final scene, we not only get a picture for just how steadfast, just how hesed God's love is, as he not only brings about a local redemption through this family, but also how God is bringing about cosmic redemption through these two widows, these th two throwaways of society, and through them, he uses them to actually showcase his nature to the world, his steadfast love, that he is the restorer of life, that he is the great redeemer who brings new creation out of the fire. And we're going to see this new creation play out in two ways this morning. The first is this, that new creation restores life. New creation restores life. I think there's, there's two distinct ways we're going to see this play out this morning. And the first is through Ruth's womb. Remember back at the first chapter of, of Ruth. Ruth was married for, for 10 years, and she did not conceive. There is no birth control in this time. If you're married and don't have a child for 10 years, it means that you're barren. It means you're unable to have children. 
right? They were under curses for their covenant breaking, for going outside the land of promise, for taking foreign lives and for foreign wives and, and dwelling in this foreign land. And Ruth was barren. Her, room, her, her womb was, was lifeless. And what do we see here in verse 13? So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Right? There's actually only two places in, in Ruth where we find God actively working, where we're told he's actively working. The first actually comes in chapter 1 when he uh, restores the land. He says he visits the people and gives them food. Right? He's undoing the covenant curses that they're under, restoring the land to prosperity. And then here again at the end, we see him active, the active agent causing Ruth to be pregnant. This is not the work of, of Boaz. This is actually the work of the Lord. The Lord is the one who's opening her womb, the active agent in causing her to be pregnant, hovering over her like the spirit hovered over creation in Genesis 1. So the spirit is at work here, bringing forth new life, restoring life to her womb and giving her a child. God is undoing the curses that have plagued Ruth. He is restoring the covenant promises that he made back to Abraham, right? The promise of, of land, of blessing, of, of children that would outnumber the stars. You know, this is an instance of Psalm 113.9 at play when, when it says this, that speaking of God, that he gives barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. This is what God has done for Ruth. She once had no children. She once had no home. She once had no legacy. And now she does. She's experiencing new life, new creation, where the curse of the fall is, is, is undone, and now she has a home in Boaz, and now she has a child in Obed. New creation restores life in the womb. It reverses the curse. And secondly, we see it restores life to the empty. It restores life to the empty. You know, when Naomi came back to Bethlehem, what did she say? She said, I am empty, right? I I left full, and I've come back empty. I am forgotten by God. God has taken everything from me, she says. And now what do we find here at the end of the story in verse 14? We see this. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. Right? Despite what she has suffered in the fires of suffering, it says that God has not left her. He has not left you this day without a redeemer. Now everything that she had lost at the beginning of the story is being restored to her. And we find it's being restored to her sevenfold. It goes on saying, He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons. Everything has been, that has been lost has been restored to her sevenfold. Ruth is like more than seven sons to her. You know, in the ancient world, few things would have been as highly sought after as seven sons. Seven. It's a number of fullness, right? There's seven days of creation. It is complete. It is full. And what does it say? It says that Ruth is actually more than seven sons to her. More full than seven. More full than the most full thing that we could think of on this earth. This is new creation talk. This is a, a Genesis moment where out of nothing, God is creating and restoring life and making her cup overflow to where she is now more than what she would have been if her two sons had never died, which is incredible. Although her loss is great, although her loss is profound, 
Although she has faced the fires of life, what does she now have that she wouldn't have had otherwise? She has Ruth, this lowly Moabite girl, the enemies of the nation of Israel, right? The girl who she tried to chase off, but she wouldn't let go. The girl who clung to Naomi and to Naomi's God, and now she is called more than seven sons. She's a sign of the new creation, the great eighth day which goes into eternity. Really, this Moabite girl worth more than seven sons? Ruth, a symbol of new creation. Ruth, a, a type of second Eve to Boaz being a second Adam? Yes, really, this Moabite girl, this is a Genesis moment. Right, Naomi, in the midst of this, thought she had lost everything. And in that, she had no idea that she was on the precipice of life, of new creation, of a fullness that she had, could only dream of. And now it says here that her life is restored. It says she's nourished, that may she be nourished in her old Age. And what do we see here in verse 17? And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, which, you know, maybe we need to institute this as a church. If you're giving birth, maybe the woman gets together and we actually name your children for you. Just something to think about. The next time we have a child, uh, we'll form a committee and uh, we'll make that happen. So it's, it's biblical, so I don't know what to tell you. Um, and it says, And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, say, name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. Wasn't that weird? A son has been born not to Ruth, it says, but to Naomi. God is restoring her line. God is restoring Naomi's family. All Naomi's losses are being undone, are being reversed. And not only are they being undone, but her gain is greater than it ever would have been without the losses. She has been given her son back. Through the fires of life, God brings new creation, new life, restoring what once was lost, and more than just restoring, but abundantly blessing, giving more than they would have had if they, would have, if they never had suffered. And this is a hard thing for us to actually believe in the midst of suffering, isn't it? Right In the midst of fires, you don't feel nourished. You feel depleted. You don't feel restored. You feel dead. You feel destruction. And what we learn here at the end of Ruth is that although suffering feels like death, feels like the end of us, although you may feel empty, suffering lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Although it may feel like nothing good can grow in your suffering, what we find is God's love is so strong, his hesed is so deep that not even the most profound suffering that you can imagine can stop this new creation from sprouting. In fact, what scripture and the history of church will tell us is that new life grows best in barren lands. New life grows best in barren lands. And because of this, nothing can stop it. New creation is sprouting. Not even the gates of hell can prevail against this. How can I be so sure of this truth? Because this restoration, this new creation event that we, that's happening here in, in Ruth for her and her family isn't just for them. But through it, what we're going to actually see here is that it's happening to all creation. 
What's on display here for Ruth and her family is actually cosmic redemption. As Ruth and Naomi are being made new, as they're restored to life, all creation is being restored as well. Through Boaz and Ruth, they're bringing about cosmic redemption. And this is the second thing we learn about a new creation, is that new creation ushers in a new kingdom. New creation ushers in a new kingdom. It's cosmic. And we see this here at the end when we, starting in verse 17, into the, the genealogy here. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a son, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. <clears throat> they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Prez. Prez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Abinadab. Abinadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered, fathered Salmon. And Salmon fathered Boaz. And Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. What this is doing for us is it's giving us a bigger picture of what's happening. This redemption is not just for Ruth and Naomi and their family line, but it's actually for the line of all humanity. You know, the first readers of Ruth, like we, would know who David is. The greatest king they've ever seen, the prototypical king, king, the the ideal one, the one from whose line the Messiah was going to come and reign over the kingdom. They would know exactly what's being said here. That David comes from Ruth and Boaz. And all of a sudden we begin to see that this new creation moment isn't just restoring the line of Naomi and bringing her comfort in her age, knowing that they have a man to, to inherit the land, to care and provide for their family, to keep their family going. But it's actually ushering in a new kingdom as David's line is established to rule forever and ever. Right out of the darkness of judges where there is no king in the land and everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes. And out of a, out of a family line that was nearly cut off without a, a man to, to create new children for their family, God is at work creating new life, bringing his kingdom to bear. And it begins here with the birth of Obed. Obed is a name that means servant. You know, if you know the the prophet Obadiah, that means servant of Yahweh. This is likely a shortened version of that. It means servant, and his name is foreshadowing just what this new kingdom is going to look like. It's going to be a very different kingdom than others. It's a kingdom where the first will be last and the last will be first. It's a kingdom where people like Boaz, who laid down their lives for others, are raised with Christ and seated at the places of honor. It's a place where people like the no-named redeemer in this story, who try to make a name for themselves, end up being the forgotten ones. And not only is Obed a servant, but he's actually called a redeemer here. The child is actually the redeemer for Naomi. Look at this again, verse 14. It says, Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And at first when you read that, you're probably thinking, oh, he's talking about Boaz. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who has more than seven sons, has given birth to him. Oh, who's the him there? The him is Obed. She's given birth to their redeemer, to their restore of their old age. He is a redeemer. The child is actually the redeemer for Naomi. The redeemer is a servant, redeeming their line, reclaiming their heritage, restoring life, leading to the throne of David. And David, right, he's the great one. 
You know what he is called over and over and over again? He's called Obed. Servant. Obed David. We see this for one instance is uh, in 2 Samuel 7. God says this, go tell my servant David. And he's constantly calling David his servant. Servant Obed, the servant king. A new kingdom is coming out of judges where everyone lives for themselves to David. A kingdom of Obed's. And David's throne isn't just a local one, but when it's established, it's a cosmic one. Listen to just a few sentences from 2 Samuel 7 where God is making his covenant with David. He says this, The Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. I will raise up your offspring after you shall come and from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. So I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Right, this kingdom that's being established, rooted here at the end of Ruth, established through the line of Ruth, has no end. New creation is happening as God is beginning to usher in this new kingdom using the, the barren womb of a Moabite widow and a man in his old age to do it. This is an upside down kingdom. And who is the one who comes from this line to sit on this throne forever and ever? But it's Christ, right? Our eternal king. Christ who sits on the throne of David. Christ who himself called himself an Obed, right? Christ, he said, I did not come to be served, but to what? To serve, to Obed. This is all leading to his work where he is now making all things new, establishing his rule over the earth as the gospel spreads and as the church grows to cover the earth. And how does Jesus accomplish this task? How does, he, how does his throne last forever? But we find it's actually through suffering. How can I be so sure that life is at the end of our trials? That new creation comes after some suffering? Well, it's because of Christ, right? It's Christ who suffered. Christ who took the weight of the sin on himself, who died in our place, but did not stay dead. Because what follows the darkest days of history is resurrection, right? It's, it's Easter. It's new creation. There is no resurrection without the crucifixion. There is no creation apart from suffering. Because life is the end of Christ. Life is the end of all those who are united to Christ by faith. Your suffering in this is not your end. In fact, when we suffer, what it does is it actually unites us to Christ and his sufferings. And in this, it becomes our beginnings. It becomes our own Genesis moment as we learn to trust Christ to lead us through trials in life. And it further cements the truth that you will rise as he rose. God's hesed love, his steadfast love is so good that even our darkest days are transformed into glory. Even those places where it seems like his light cannot shine, cannot penetrate, even those places, new creation is sprouting there too, especially there. And as God did for Ruth and Naomi, so he is doing for you and for all creation. And this is the great promise of the gospel and of Ruth. And so at the end of this story of Ruth, what do we walk away with? I'm going to suggest maybe a couple things to tuck away. For one, 
it should help us to see that the story that we're woven into, as we're woven into God's people, is bigger than us. It's both local and it's cosmic. So often I think that we think maybe God isn't in it in our daily ordinary lives. We're just doing the boring things. We wake up, we go to work, we come home, we eat, we go to bed, we wake up, we come home, we eat. We, go to, we, we feel like maybe God isn't involved in those everyday aspects of our life, that he isn't walking with us in those small aches and pains and the big aches and pains. But here we see that God is actually in the details, that he has not forgotten us, but he is with us. And through our everyday story, he is actually bringing his kingdom to bear on earth as it is in heaven in ways that you will likely never see or never even know about. Right? Just like God uses the story here of two unlikely heroes, of these widows, to bring about King David and Christ himself. So he's using you in ways that you may never know or see. Listen, Ruth didn't know about David. She didn't know that the Messiah would come from that line. And yet here she is in the line of Christ. One of the four women written into the genealogy of Christ in Matthew. And God is using us like he used her. He's using your story to write the history of his people through it. Secondly, uh, our suffering is not for nothing. Christ is with us in it, leading us through it. He is the great shepherd and he wastes nothing in our lives. But he leads us to life. And lastly, as we walk through this story, I hope we've seen a bigger picture and felt the weight of just how strong God's steadfast love is. That nothing can break it. Not even our disobedience can break it. It's not something that you can wander away from. But God is the great, uh, the great restorer of life. He is a great redeemer who comes and gets his wandering sheep and brings them home. He is a great nourisher of those in their old age. He will not let you go because he can't let you go. You know, the true rest that, that you know, Naomi looked, longs for in this book, the, the true rest that we long for in our own lives is found in this, this truth, right? Our rest from suffering, our rest from pain, our rest from sorrow, our rest from sin, it's all found in the Hesed love of God. Not in our own strength, not in our own ability to love God, but on his strength and his ability to love us. This is the restoration. This is the new creation that he brings to bear in the life of his children. And at the end of the day, this is the heart of Ruth, teaching us, showing us his character, showing us our place in his beautiful story. May we grow in our ability to trust this truth walking in it, walking faithfully with God in, the, in our sufferings, and may we rest in his work and in, in, in love that is steadfast and never failing. Pray with me. Gracious and merciful God in heaven, we give you thanks for your word. I pray that you would encourage our hearts and our souls, that we would be a people who walk with you, who trust you, Encourage us, we pray, as we are one body united in Christ, our Redeemer. Amen.